Hello, I'm John Chambers, and welcome to another episode of Chambers Talks, my LinkedIn podcast. Discussions about technology disruption, disrupt or get disrupted. I love talking about business model changes and getting market transitions right, and how you combine business model changes with new technology to change an industry and bring benefit to customers. It's a chance for each of you to learn from others' lessons learned. In each of these sessions, I've tried to get a different group of individuals to talk about their experiences, both what they've done right, but also mistakes they've made, and use it as a chance to teach the people who are listening to this podcast or a chance to reinforce some of your thoughts or your views. Today, I'm honored. It's the first time I've done a podcast with any one of my startup companies. And I picked three of the most senior uh, CEOs, senior, not necessarily in terms of age, but uh, where their company is and their evolution and the experience and the successes they've had, as well as some of the challenges they've faced to achieve those successes. Raji Thomas, he's the founder and CEO of Sprinkler. Raji, welcome. Congratulations going public on the New York Stock Exchange uh, a little bit over a month ago. Gustavo Spoznik. Uh, and uh, he's the founder and CEO of ASAP. Uh, Zach Bookman, co-founder and CEO of OpenGov. ASAP is one of the top AI companies uh, in the industry, uh, customer experience. OpenGov is, think of it as a uh, capability, and I'll ask each of you to describe your company, to really bring the benefits of technology and AI to uh, state and local governments very effectively. Each of the three of you, in my opinion, has a chance to lead your whole segment of your industry as the number one player. So a lot of uh, lessons learned and chances to share views. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, uh, each of you asking to do a better job than I did of your elevator pitch, because it's amazing when you ask a CEO or even on a sales call, ask a head of sales or finance person, what does your company really do? How do you net that out in a meaningful way uh, in a minute or less? And uh, maybe uh, uh, I'm going to start with you, Raji, because you just did this on the New York Stock Exchange brilliantly. And your CNBC interview, I still watch again and again. So tell me what Sprinkler does. Uh, thank you, John. Uh, Sprinkler provides a unified platform for all customer-facing functions um, for large and fast-growing companies. That means everything from customer care to marketing across 36 digital channels can be done on one unified platform. We differentiate ourselves through our ability to unify 31 different products and product categories on this unified platform. So if you're not buying Sprinkler, you're doing 31 RFPs and buying 31 different products, or you're buying it from a larger company that's kind of put a Frankenstack of these capabilities capabilities together, but don't work with each other. Thank you, Raji. Uh, again, congratulations, an exciting IPO. And the first one to physically go public on the New York Stock Exchange in 18 months uh, due to the COVID issues. Uh, Gustavo, uh, you're in an area that is artificial intelligence and with ASAP. And uh, tell me what ASAP does. How are you different? Uh, what are the key takeaways? And then, Zach, I'll be to you next. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure being here today. Uh, ASAP was born with the idea that the biggest opportunity in machine learning was to build products and technology that makes people better, better at their jobs. 
So uh, we, we build enterprise products for problems that have three attributes. One, they are economically gigantic. Two, they are systemically inefficient or very broken. And three, they have tons of data. And uh, we landed in this problem of customer experience as the first area that we tackle where the vast majority of the economic spend that enterprises have is on their people. And we built technology to make those people extraordinarily more productive so they can deliver more delightful experiences. It's amazing. I, I think if I remember the number right, you're up over 60 PhDs of artificial intelligence and uh, you got half the MIT graduating class last time I, I saw it. Tremendous talent uh, on it. Zach, uh, to you a little bit. Tell me about OpenGov. Uh, what's exciting about it and what are you seeing in the market? And since you aren't public, I can brag that your growth rate has doubled in the last year in a market. Some people said it's very slow growth. It's actually getting pretty exciting. Thanks, John. It's such an honor to be here, uh, especially with you and, and Raji and Gustavo. Um, OpenGov is the is bringing the cloud to our nation, state, and local governments. So these are cities, counties, and state agencies where the public leaders and and staff have been banging their heads against green screens and old technology for 20, 30, 40, 40 years. We're bringing a modern, all integrated ERP. Think of this as budgeting and planning, financial management, permitting and licensing, reporting and transparency. So all sorts of cloud applications to power more effective and accountable government. When you think about the market that we're in, and I'll now move to asking either one of you just one question or two of you the same question, but not ask all three the same question. And I'll, I'll bounce around a little bit. Uh, Zach, I'm going to start with you. Uh, how important is risk taking to being a successful CEO? And just to give the audience a little bit of background, uh, as a board member, I worry about you climbing the highest mountains in the world. You're off for a week or two at a time. You are clearly a risk taker. Do you think that's something that's a requirement to be a good CEO? Uh, how do you balance risk taking with not taking too much risk? Well, it, it's kind of interesting. I'm on a, I'm, I'm, Coming to you from the 1942 USO building in Hawthorne, Nevada, I'm cycling across the country as part of a campaign called OpenGov Across America to thank, you know, our cities and counties that that that, that have served us through the pandemic and uh, evangelize OpenGov and, and bring the cloud to government. I pulled off here to to join you. Um, I suppose this trip has risk. I like risk. I I think it's necessary for uh, just to start something. I mean, something didn't exist. You got to get it off the ground. You got to recruit people to build their career around you or your idea. Um, that said, I admire the product uh, uh, leaders, you know, including the, the two I would, I would say are on this call um, who ha you have to get the product right and you have to match that with the customer needs. And I think you've got to have a, have a forward lean, but as OpenGov has gotten more and more focused, everything's been working better. So I'd say we've had a lot of vision and a, a lot of kind of uh, uh, sizzle. And over the past couple of years, including with, with your advice and, and, and mentorship, we focused a lot on the stake. And so I think it's a real balance between courage and risk, but also just, just nailing the, the product sets, the features, and really understanding what the buyers and customers need. And that's less a risk issue and more you know, a technical issue and more about just getting it right. 
Raji, I'm going to ask you the same question. When you look what you did at Sprinkler, you literally had a fanatical approach to changing a market and an ability to evolve your leadership style and the direction along the way. And you bet everything on the company. Uh, Risk-taking, is it a must for the CEO? Uh, how do you keep balance the risks versus opportunities versus challenges? Just share with the audience a little bit your thoughts. I think entrepreneurs by self-selection are natural risk-takers. But the way I think about risk is not as most people think about it. I, I think of it as probability management because life and most projects and most initiatives are large probability trees. And it's about understanding the probability of success and failure and actively mitigating the reasons why you will fail down an individual step of that probability tree. And that's what I think great entrepreneurs do. They're risk takers, but they take calculated risk and they're actively managing the risk in each segment. Raji, what was the biggest risk you ever took at Sprinkler? Well, we, when I started Sprinkler, I kind of put uh, my life savings. I had a previous exit and I took all that money and I funded Sprinkler with that money for two years. So imagine having two young children and a family and having money to retire and convincing the family to put it back into the biggest risk you can do is start a company. Yeah, it's exciting. You've got a wonderful spouse and two great children. It's really fun to watch. Gustavo, I would ask you about risk-taking, but just so everybody understands, Gustavo flies planes, he flies helicopters, so I'm not going to ask him risk-taking. That would be too easy an answer. Uh, I'm going to ask you, uh, we're going to switch directions a little bit, talking about strategy and vision and culture and communications. Uh, we just returned as a group from uh, being up in Alaska, where every year I'm honored to have 12 of the CEOs out of the JC2 portfolio uh, join me in Alaska for fishing, flying out on planes each morning, going to seven different river systems and lakes and experiencing the true outdoors. But the key goal is to bring 10 experienced leaders, uh, my friends from prior lives, uh, to the group to kind of share lessons learned and to spend uh, literally a week on everything from culture to strategy to business and getting to know each other. Uh, you were a young man from New York City who I don't think had fished or hunted before. And all of a sudden you were in Alaska uh, several years ago for the first time uh, with that trip. How, how did you view the trip and, and how successful or not? And I love your directness being a New Yorker, especially. Uh, does it achieve the goals of culture and, and achieving what I kind of hoped it would in terms of outcome? It, it not only achieved it, it exceeded any expectation. I think. You hear the topic of culture, you internalize it intellectually as a valuable and desirable thing. But that uh, adventure in Alaska was an opportunity to see it in real life, to see the culture that you had built with your leadership team at Cisco for decades come to life. And, and uh, one anecdote that was particularly uh, insightful for me, the first time I went to, to Alaska with you, John, the company had, I think, maybe 30 or 40 people. We're 400 people today. So were 10 times smaller. And I would argue I was 10 times less wise if, I'm any, if I have any wisdom at all today. And one of the uh, naive ideas I had as a uh, novice entrepreneur was that if you build a great product, the market will come and customers will come and, and it's game over. So naturally I had all this product and technology related questions for your team and 
What a wonderful opportunity to speak to Cisco's CTO or Chief Development Officer, Chief Information Security Officer. So as I approach all those folks and I start asking technical related questions, uh, all of them started answering questions that were of the tune of, uh, well, the thing with the customer and where you're focused on the customer and the customer. And, the, and, and I, I remember going from one to the other, and, and I don't know if someone put them up on a prank that they refused to address technical questions. All they were talking about was the customer. But after a few of such anecdotes, I, it realized on me that part of the reason or a big contributor to the reasons uh, that Cisco had uh, in, in terms of his success was this customer obsession. And you could see it from people and individuals on your team that were not necessarily supposed to be customer obsessed. They had different technical functions, but all they could care about was how they, their function enables customer success. You know, I also like to keep these a little bit light. Uh, it's the first real major outdoor trip I think you've done of this type. And, and uh, this is when we fly out, we fly on uh, pontoon planes each day to very remote sites. So this isn't the location you see in the pictures in Alaska, where the bear is sitting on a waterfall, catching a fish, poses for the photographer. You go back where bears often don't even see people. Uh, and these are, you know, when they stand up 10 feet high, uh, grizzly bears. You learn a lot about people when you watch them under a little bit of stress and you watch them adjust. Obviously, I would never let anything happen to you, but share a little bit with the uh, the group, the audience. What was it like the first time you turn a corner and all of a sudden you're between multiple grizzly bears that you're, you're much closer than you anticipated? Uh, what was that rush like and how would you describe it? Well, I, I, I don't think I want to go into much detail and I'll leave it at I needed new underwear at the end of the day. And we, we tease a little bit. I often, when I interview people or others, you watch how they handle stress. You learn more about them under stress. And Gustavo is, is being very kind. He adjusted to the outdoors remarkably well and uh, has really gotten into fishing. And he handles stress extremely, extremely well uh, in terms of the direction. Zach, what did it mean for you in Alaska? A uh, little bit your thoughts there. A little bit like Gustavo and I, well, a little different, I suppose. When I got on the the plane and I'm, I'm talking with some of your execs, I, I'd hear them talk about each other and the camaraderie and the team spirit phrases like, Oh, we would take a bullet for each other. And so I thought maybe this is some kind of cult thing going on. And, uh, and, and you said, John, Hey, look, we're coming up, not just to have a good time and, and get to the outdoors, but this is about leadership. This is about culture. This is about building winning teams. And what it's driven for driven home for me is, the, the importance of that. You talk about how do you build an unbeatable team? And what that means is when a team that trusts each other, that gets each other's back, when you know each other, when you can anticipate moves, when you can pivot and, and, and turn on a dime, as you sometimes say, when somebody can fall down and you help them get back up. And the, the trip for me, I mean, the outdoors is incredible. It's absolutely beautiful. It's fun. Uh, but for me, the, the, the most important element of it that, that I've tried to take home is how do we how do we build that team at OpenGov? How do we get to a new level of trust where you're doing no look passes or behind the back where you've just got an, as you said, an unbeatable team? Because that's what can change a market when you do it together. Yeah, and it's fun how you've watched, uh, I've watched you incorporate that and candidly how your glass door numbers have continued to improve, how you've got a team that's truly united on the direction. It's it's fun watching you develop as a CEO. Zach. Well, I got to give you a lot of credit for that. You, when, when you came in, John, you said, Zach, you got to soften up the style. 
You got to smooth out the rough edges. It's not just intensity and go, go, go. You got to understand and relate to people. You got to listen. And so a lot of the soft skills, uh, uh, been working really hard on for the past couple of years. Uh, I have, I do have to credit to, to you and maybe some of the Alaska trip as well. You know, it's interesting. One of the, the pictures that I remember most from one of the Alaska trips is uh, three of the top women execs, I think, in the world in high tech uh, sitting, talking to one of your counterparts, VJ, out of Pendrop about the importance of inclusion. And they're sitting there in the water waiting for to be picked up uh, by the plane coming in. And suddenly I removed myself from the a group and took a picture with the backs and watched VJ just learning from these three top women about how important inclusion is and how we as men often underestimate how poor a job we actually are doing uh, in the area of inclusion and, and creating that culture that we all want. Uh, Raji, you, you are as good as I've ever seen on strategy and vision, but you've also gotten very, very good on culture. Which one is more important? And is culture something that just once you get it, it stays with a company? Is it something you have to revisit regularly? Uh, is it something that periodically gets off tracks and you bring your company back on? A little bit about sharing your thoughts and as much as you can, a little bit about the background of, of how you've done it uh, over the years at Sprinkler. So uh, for me, strategy and vision is like the sperm and the egg of a company. If you don't have strong genes, and if you don't have a strong foundation, you don't go anywhere. But culture and communication is like the body that develops over time and makes you into a human being that, that you can. And if you don't nurture that, if you're not intentional about culture and communication, if you're not active and vocal, and candidly, what I learned from my experience with you in Alaska, and if it's not a priority that you're willing to put time and money against, you're going to fail. So it's it's having a great strategy and vision for the company, but constantly living your culture. A culture is not what you say it is. It is what people live every day. It, it defines what you do when the lights are off. And a culture can be seen, not heard when it's good. When you think about culture, Zach, I'm going to go back to you a little bit. You have a very great culture at OpenGov. At one point, we got off track a little bit. How do you know when a culture starts to get off track and how do you get it back in line? To me, I loved what you just said, Raji. And I think they're self-reinforcing the, the strategy and vision and the culture. I, I agree. It's got to be a priority. You've got to put time, money against it. But I also think you, it, it takes that courage. Uh, you've got to speak up, speak out for what's right, for a culture of belonging uh, and, and inclusion, as you said, for, you know, doing what you say you'll do, high integrity. Um, I think you know it a bit like strategy when things, it's just, you get that stress in your stomach. You're waking up at four in the morning, you're biting your nails, something doesn't feel right. And the entrepreneur has to listen to the instinct and the gut and say, something's not working right here. And then apply the analytics to like, what's really going wrong. I, I think the vision and strategy is absolutely necessary because the company starts working better. The momentum grows. People can have a little more fun. You know, if you put a dollar against something, you might get it back in the form of revenue, but it's fed by the culture and there's the great debate, which comes first. I don't know. That's why I loved what, what Raji said. But I think um, you know it when you see it, a bit like uh, the Justice Potter's uh, phrase. 
Um, and it feels really good when the team starts to win together. And we often talk together, including in Alaska, about having fun as a team. And that's, that's winning as a team. There's nothing more fun than that. Gustavo, if I can, I'd like for you to share the views a uh, little bit. When did culture become important to you? How did you articulate it? And part of the reason I ask is uh, I only uh, look for four things in the CEOs in my portfolio. It's strategy and vision of the company, uh, develop, recruit, retain, and periodically change the management team to implement that strategy and vision, uh, culture, and communications. Uh, you're a natural in three of those four. And we talked about culture. And at first, the first six or eight months we were together, I said, well, uh, perhaps he just isn't comfortable with that. And uh, so I put it on the back burner. And then you asked me to listen to a business presentation. And you gave me a cultural presentation, which is one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, how do you define culture uh, to your employees uh, at ASAP? And, and how could you articulate it in, in one minute answer to the audience here? Absolutely. Well, I think in our line of business, everything that we do is a result of the people we have. There's no uh, physical constraint or ability to be successful. It's what's in my head and in my team members' heads and our ability to align our heads to the shared objectives that we have. So naturally, culture and who the people are, the two most important things in, in our opinion. Uh, we believe there's two pieces to having a great culture. One is defining what you want that culture to be. And that definition is a sole responsibility of the leader of the organization. And there's no right answer. I think it's a representation of the values that are important to whoever the leader of the organization is. But once that's defined, that's kind of talking the talk. You've got to walk the walk. And walking the walk is the realization that whatever those values are, and they're going to be great sounding positive values like transparency, honesty, integrity, whatever they might be, things are going to happen that are the opposite of those values. You're gonna, there's always going to be little fires that emerge in the organization uh, that are counter to those values that you define as what you want to be. And what you do when that happens is what I believe ultimately determines the culture that you have. Do you sweep that problem under the rug and pretend it didn't happen? Or you obsess about those weaknesses and you learn from them so that you hopefully don't make the same mistake two, three, or four times. So our execution of the culture that we've defined is this collective ownership where we all see ourselves as equal ownership, equal owners of the culture that we have, and our job is to always improve it. Zach, I'm going to switch directions and go to you on Crossing the Chasm, Jeffrey Moore's book. Uh, for those of you that haven't read it, it's a very easy read, and it's a term that you can use regularly inside companies uh, in terms of the stages, both your customers, but also your company goes through, et cetera, from the very early uh, innovators to the early adopters. You cross the chasm onto the early majority, Main Street, laggards a little bit. When did you know you'd crossed the chasm uh, at uh, OpenGov? I know when I think it was, uh, and but when did you uh, see it? And was it apparent before you were crossing it or only after you got through it? What could you share with the audience? I, I think I'm, I'm so paranoid and, and, and uh, skeptical. I feel like we're just crossing it right now. What really has happened at the company in the last year or two that's changed the game is a focus on market segmentation. We sell software to our nation's cities and counties. Well, New York City is very different than Oakland, which is very different than Redwood City, California, which is different than, you know, the tiny hometown that some of us grew up in. 
and focusing on the customers that you can repeatedly make successful and profitably do so is the game changer. And Raji and I talked about this in the last guy pinned him in the corner and said, you know, tell me about some of the inflection points for you. And he said, shrinking the territories, focusing your sales efforts is what produces, you know, not just the maximum efficiency, but it speeds up the growth. The other thing that's changed the game for us is focusing on actually saving money. I think there's an inverse law here. The less you spend, the faster you grow. And uh, I can't explain it. I can't explain why, but I've seen us spend less, produce better growth and, and shrink our territories, focus our efforts on smaller market segments and produce faster growth. And it was when those started working that I felt like we're crossing the chasm. You know, it's interesting. From my side, uh, watching you bring your team with you across the chasm, it was when you moved from selling products to selling outcomes and you began to come what in simple terms I describe as potentially the ERP system for state and local governments around the world. That's when I knew you'd really arrived. Uh, very fun to watch. I think think the services business, you came in and pushed us to build a services business, John. And I had this delusion that, you know, the cloud now it's all about ARR. You don't need services. And I was just flat wrong. And, you know, software doesn't walk in and turn itself on and customers don't wake up and know how to use it. You actually have to have expertise. You have to build a services business and they go hand in hand, software and services. And if you do it right, as you did at Cisco, you can get high margins on the services, but it's not just for making money. It's for producing success for customers that need handholding and need help. You know, what Zach just said, uh, obviously I agree with, but the majority of VCs will not. Uh, Most VCs do not want services in their mix, or if so, it's a very small amount because you don't get the same PE ratios from the market, whether you're being bought or whether you're going IPO, uh, you do from product growth, et cetera. But uh, we share the passion that and the conviction that without services, you really don't have the stickiness. So getting that balance is, is key. Raji. The Journey IPO New York Stock Exchange. So many people listening to this are dreaming about the day they do an IPO. What were your key takeaways from doing the IPO process? And can you convey what it was like standing up and ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange? I can because I was so proud of what you did. But what was it like for you and what's kind of the sharing of the stories that you could do for the audience? Um, first off, John, is, is you... You expedient. It was a moment of glory for all of us that that, that would put their heads down for twelve years to build this company. It was a moment of recognition. It was a is the moment where you bend your neck and you have the the mail around you. People are taking pictures. So it it felt amazing for everyone that was a part of the journey, not just employees, investors, partners, um, and and the entire community. Um, it's a great milestone, but I would urge everyone to not see the IPO as a destination, but really another milestone and celebrating milestones and, and, and kind of setting the next milestone is what I think large successful companies do very well. So it was very exciting. It was a galvanizing moment for the company, uh, a moment of proud of pride and, and a moment where we could begin telling our story, but make no mistakes. I see us as just embarking on this on this journey, which is um, 
you know, just the first mile of a marathon that we're on and, and we have a platform now, but we have to perform uh, to get to our next milestone. Moving to general leadership and, and talking about lessons learned in leadership, both successes and mistakes. Uh, if I can, let me start, uh, Zach, uh, what's been your biggest success? And I'll ask the second question at the same time, Zach, what's been your biggest mistake as a leader that others can learn from? The, the biggest success is, is hiring incredible talent and building a culture of trust where we believe in each other, we rely on each other, and it percolates through the organization in the culture, uh, the culture of belonging, the culture of teamwork, collaboration, uh, doing what we say we'll do, and then our personally, our culture of passion. We, we, we love our mission to power more effective and accountable government. And it's taken years to build the team and to, to kind of, as, as Gustavo said, execute on, on the cultural values, which are both aspirational and, and, and now hopefully a little bit descriptive. The, the biggest failure would be spending, spending money on sales and marketing before we had a tight, repeatable process to make customers successful and, and, and do that profitably. Um, it's pretty tough in, in my industry in particular, old line industry, huge software footprint required to make them successful. So you build a point solution that's flashy or powerful, um, but you can't charge enough for it to really make the whole engine work. And we thought we had product market fit four or five years ago, and we, we kind of didn't. And we hit the, we put the pedal down and it creates a lot of pain hiring people or reps who can't you know, uh, feed off their territory. And as we've blown the suite out and a couple of good acquisitions, we feel like we've got a lot more product and everything's working uh, much better right now. And that's a, that's a good feeling. But the big lesson learned there is focus on the segmentation, build out the product footprint and monitor sales efficiency. Gustavo, when you think about your biggest success uh, at ASAP and perhaps the biggest mistake or do over, what would they be in each category? Success-wise, definitely people. It's hiring the right people uh, to execute on the mission and vision that we have for our organization. And like I said earlier, we firmly believe that everything that we do is a result of the people we have. So I think we've been very lucky and fortunate to have attracted uh, remarkable people to our team who are uh, of high character, high commitment, and high capability to execute on that vision. In terms of mistakes, I think one of the big ones, I, I touched on it earlier as well when I said I was naive in believing that if you build the best product, you win. I think if you build the best product, you're halfway through the opportunity to win. The other half is building an equally strong and powerful go-to-market organization uh, that understands the customer's needs, that understands how to communicate the value proposition that we have, and how to handhold large enterprises, which is the segment of the market that we're exclusively focused on in this journey of digital transformation. And I think we uh, we started investing and prioritizing the importance of go-to-market uh, later in the game than we should have. You know, very often uh, we all make similar mistakes. Uh, often the startups I'm associated with, if they come with an engineering mathematical background, they underestimate how important the sales engine could be. And if they come with a general business, more of a sales type background, et cetera, they underestimate how important talent is in the engineering organization. Uh, you don't win without really world-class talent. Uh, Raji, are you more product of your successes or more product of your mistakes and do-overs? 
By a long shot, a product of my mistakes. Uh, success, as you know, has got many fathers. I'd love to say that success is like an Indian curry. Uh, Indian curry has you know hundreds of ingredients that go into it. Many times, the, the the powders themselves are powders from many sources. So it's very easy for any ingredient to think that they are a, a very important part of that success. Uh, probably the reason of the success. But if one thing goes wrong and you know, I put too much salt or too much chili powder, it's very easy to learn, oh, my God, too much salt in that curry, and that's why it's bad. So for me, it's been always easy to, to learn from mistakes. And uh, consequently, as much as I learn from uh, people who are successful, I try to learn something from everybody around me, and most people teach you what not to do. I completely agree. I know I learned more from my mistakes. And for me, it was the 2001.com bus that I just didn't see coming for some reason. And it was a very painful one. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same last question at the end. Uh, you're, you're sitting in the audience. And if you were a younger you 10 years ago, what have you learned in the last 10 years that you wish you knew then that would have helped you be a better leader? Uh, if I can start with you, Zach. Hiring the best talent and then and then positive reinforcement, positive affirmation. I was going to give a little bit of a contrarian answer. Have I learned more from the, the failures or successes? I feel like I've made almost every every mistake in the book, at least in, in, in my little corner of the world. And as we've started to see some things that are really working, they've illuminated why certain things we did were mistakes. And they've guided, you know, they've, they've built a path to like, let's do more of that. And it's been really encouraging and, you know, giving more trust, more respect, more delegation um, when it's earned and pushing people and coaching people and, and trying to teach, even if you don't feel like you've got enough to teach, it really builds the culture of positive momentum and momentum is everything in these, in these startups and these businesses. So um, how to get people just firing and working together would be probably the, the big lesson for me. If we had done that earlier, uh, we'd be a little further along. And if we do it, do it more now, we'll get further along faster. Thank you. Uh, Raji, uh, your views. Uh, if you knew 10 years ago what you know now, what would be the one thing you'd depart to this audience? Hiring for culture. Uh, 10 years ago, I was primarily hiring for experience. And as a result, I'd look for people who I, when I was interviewing, was trying to find people who knew what I wanted them to do uh, or could grow into it. Uh, and, you know, in my current situation, I think the most important trait when you're recruiting is to make sure that the person is a culture fit. And, and culture takes same, if not a bigger priority and precedence than the actual experience the person has. You know, I've made that mistake many times and I always regret it. Uh, you often overlook as somebody who might not be a cultural fit because they are so talented. Every time I regretted that, and that's, that's one for, I think, for all of our listeners to focus on. Uh, Gustavo, bring us home. Uh, a little bit, your thoughts uh, here. Five years will summarize. Uh, my trajectory as a leader of ASAP. I think one one point, and, and you mentioned it in your four attributes or responsibilities that you uh, place on the CEO, the last one being communicate. I think that's one where 
I've learned the very valuable importance of whenever you think you've communicated enough, you haven't. You have to do more and more and more. And I remember one time I, I was uh, meeting with one of the CEOs of one of the largest technology companies out there. And at the end of the meeting, I asked, what, what piece of advice do you have for me? And he said, listen, you, you've shown to me what your company does, your mission, your values, your culture. And I'm sure that with some uh, uh, regularity, you get in front of the company and, and, you, and you share all those thoughts. My one piece of advice is that you keep beating that drum and you beat over that drum and you keep beating that drum. And when you think you're done beating that drum, you beat it again. And I think... Naturally, that didn't come to me as a, 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 as a, a native thing to do. Uh, I, I, it, it has been more of a learned habit. And the more I do it, the more value I see from it. You know, I want to thank you, Raji, Gustavo, and Zach for being part of this today. For those in the listening audience, if we were on video, you'd realize how honored and proud I am of these three leaders, uh, how I've, I've been honored to be their strategic partner, their mentor, their coach, their sponsor, but also how much it's been a rush being part of their team. Uh, so want to thank each of you. Uh, honored to, to be a part of your team and so proud of you. I want to also thank uh, everyone uh, for listening today uh, to another episode of Chambers Talks. I'd like for you to continue to give us your evaluation of what you like and what we could do better. And I look forward to seeing you very soon in another lively podcast. Thank you again, gentlemen, for today's session. Everybody be safe. Have a great day. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Uh-huh.